The question is, are you ready? This is The Drive with Josh Graham. Walking here. On Sports Hub Triad. Welcome to a Wednesday Drive, where we start with the big NFL headline of the day. The Carolina Panthers are no longer pursuing Deshaun Watson. And as relieving as that is to hear, considering how awkward it would have been if Carolina pulled off the deal, I don't believe for a second the Panthers willingly passed on the Deshaun sweepstakes. Just saying that we're out after all the speculation of the last 72 hours. Really, all the speculation that's existed since the last week of January. It's kind of like when you were in high school and you tell your buddies you're going to ask out the popular girl. Then when you get denied, you go back to your friend saying, eh, she's not that great. Wouldn't want to date her anyway. Totally not a personal example. We all know you were interested. Like in that example, this looks like, to me, more that the Panthers were told they were out, not the other way around. You had the report from the Houston Chronicle last night where terms, reportedly, had been agreed to between the Texans and the Miami Dolphins. They just needed some more clarity about the legal situation. They needed more clarity from the NFL office, which is why I think it's perfect that the NFL owners were meeting this week for the first time in nearly two years. Deshaun Watson, there's a chance that maybe he nixed Carolina, just like he did with Philadelphia, reportedly. The only team we know for sure that he's approved as a destination for him to go. The Miami Dolphins. He has the no-trade clause. We all know that. To me, it looks like a trade is imminent. John McClain's as plugged in as anybody with the Texans organization. Literally has the Texans owner as a source. He was the one talking about terms being agreed to. Last week and this week. When you look at what Miami can give Houston compared to what Carolina can give Houston, it's no match. So if terms have been agreed to, and I believe the reporting there, Carolina was likely told one of two things. The Texans either told the Panthers, you don't have what the Dolphins have. You can't match what they're giving us. Or the Texans told the Panthers, yeah, we asked Deshaun if he'd like to be traded to the Carolinas, and he said no. So Carolina does the PR thing where they let Ian Rappaport know, Jonathan Jones know, and a few others know they're not interested in Deshaun Watson. They didn't break up with us. We broke up with them. And it was a bit surprising to me because last night, I thought Goodell, when I heard him speaking, was extending the Carolina Panthers a playoff invite with his comments. When I heard Roger Goodell say this, all I could think was, oh, the Carolina Panthers are going to give everything they can to get Deshaun tomorrow, which would be today, which is why I was surprised at the news I saw this morning. This was Goodell speaking at the owners' meeting. Uh, we don't have all the access to that information at this point in time, and we, we pride ourselves on not interfering in that, um, being cooperative as we can to make sure we get all the facts. 
Uh, but I think that process is still ongoing. And until that process is ongoing and we have enough data and enough information to be able to make a determination of whether he should go on commissioner exempt, uh, we don't feel that we have that necessary information at this point. Let me translate that, translate that, if you will. That is Goodell saying they are not going to put Deshaun on the exempt list until things get worked out. In other words, he could play this Sunday if you were to bring in Deshaun. If Carolina had Deshaun Watson on this roster, Deshaun versus Sam Darnold, they're a playoff team. That's what they are. They're a playoff team if you replace Darnold with a potential top five quarterback in the league. That doesn't mean Carolina should do it. I'm relieved that they didn't bring him in. But when I heard Goodell say that, I thought Carolina's going to give them whatever they want. Whatever they want, they're going to give it to him because if you bring him in, well, you're not going to throw him on the commissioner's exempt list, which means he can play. And if he can play, we could turn around this season and get back to the playoffs. That's probably what Carolina's thinking. And consequences be damned somewhere down the line. That's what surprised me here. The Dolphins, they're one in five. One in five, one in six. Only won one game this year. If they bring in Deshaun, they're not, there's not enough time for them to turn around things and get back to the playoffs, I don't think. For Carolina, there is. When you're sitting there at three and four. But I'm relieved it turned out this way. I wouldn't feel comfortable ignoring what he's alleged to have done in 22 civil lawsuits and just focus on him as a football player. That would be very difficult for me, given the history of this organization that goes back to Ray Carruth and Fred Lane and more recently Greg Hardy and Jerry Richardson. I'm glad that Carolina is no longer pursuing Deshaun. But I don't believe for a second it was the Carolina Panthers doing this on moral grounds. On Twitter at WSGS Sports, 336-777-1600 if you want in on today's show. Winston-Salem State head basketball coach Cleo Hill Jr. going to join us in 10 minutes. Robert Walsh is the producer of today's show. With about one month left in the college football season, it's about time we start looking at Heisman contenders. The first playoff rankings come out next week. And looking at the Heisman odds, because Vegas is where I go to get the pulse on things, the top three contenders are Bryce Young at Bama, Matt Corral at Ole Miss, and C.J. Stroud at Ohio State. None of those three would be my pick, though. As the conductor of the Pitt Panther train, Kenny Pickett is my current favorite to win the Heisman. Yes, 2-2 indeed. Kenny Pickett, that's my pick. His numbers, they are deserving. I, I looked at the three stats that I care about most that are easy to obtain for quarterbacks. Passing yards, touchdowns, passer rating. And Kenny Pickett is top 10 in the nation in all three of those categories. The only other Power 5 quarterback who can say that? Bryce Young at Bama. However, this is what separates Kenny from Bryce Young, I think. A few things. Statistically, it's the fact that he's only thrown one interception, Robert. That's crazy to me. If you watch Pitt, they throw the ball all over the yard. No quarterback in college football, power five or group of five, nobody 
has attempted more passes with fewer interceptions than Kenny Pickett. He's thrown 244 passes this year, and only one of those passes intercepted. He's been the best story at the position. He came out of nowhere, like Joe Burrow, like Lamar Jackson five years ago. So there is precedent for a non-playoff, heck, even a non-conference champion quarterback out of the ACC winning this award if the numbers are good enough. And I think they are. I think story matters. You can really sway voters. Johnny Cochran once said, talking about the OJ trial, that as a defense attorney, all you're trying to do is to tell a better story than the prosecutors on the other side. That's all you're trying to do, to tell a better story because jurors, they love stories, just like voters love stories. And whoever tells the better story, probably going to win that case. The Kenny Pickett story at Pitt is a lot better than C.J. Stroud stepping into a ready-made position to win at Ohio State with the best wide receivers in the country. Two guys that might be the two top wide receivers in next year's draft. And Alabama, I don't need to tell you about how much talent they have surrounding Young. Matt Corral's a pretty good story, but that schedule's going to get very difficult very quick. Kenny Pickett, they've lost one game this year. Yes, it was to Western Michigan, but he threw six touchdowns in the game. And they still lost. I think this is only going to get amplified. If you're looking at Vegas odds, 10-1 to 1 to win the Heisman right now for Kenny Pickett. He's going to get more exposure in the next month. Robert, how about this? Mel Kuyper Jr. released his first big board of the regular season last night. And he ranked the quarterbacks, the highest-ranked quarterback on Mel Kuyper's big board from the Pitt Panther train that I'm leading. Choo-choo! Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett's the highest-ranked quarterback on Mel's big board right now. And he really hasn't had a national stage to step into. The biggest stage he had was this past weekend, and he delivered with the win against Clemson. He's going to have a primetime Thursday night game against North Carolina that's bound to get a lot of attention for draft purposes. Sam Howe going up against Kenny Pickett primetime game on a Thursday night. That's a couple weeks away. The ACC championship looks like they're going to be there. So a lot of people will be watching that in primetime and the day after that, that's when the voting ends for the Heisman Trophy. So there are still opportunities for him to have that Heisman moment. There's precedent for it. I think Kenny Pickett is the favorite with a month left to go to win the Heisman Trophy. As I mentioned, Cleo Hill Jr. is going to join us in five minutes. Here's why. Since winning the CIAA championship in March of last year, 2020, Winston-Salem State has not played a competitive basketball game. That's going to change this weekend. they got an exhibition at Duke on Saturday. Then they're going to face Wake Forest at the Joel. First time the Deeks and the Rams facing off in a dozen years. To talk about how these games got put together, Rams head coach Cleo Hill Jr. will join us next on The Drive. You know who this is? You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Real briefly, let's go back to March of 2020. 
where a few weeks before the world changed before our eyes, while many of us were sitting in the Greensboro Coliseum during the ACC tournament, the Winston-Salem State Rams erased an 11-point deficit in the final five minutes of the CIAA championship game, and they ended up winning the title in Charlotte. That was nearly 20 months ago, and Cleo Hill Jr.'s group has not played another competitive basketball game since. That's going to change Saturday afternoon when the Rams visit Cameron Indoor Stadium to face Coach K and Duke in an exhibition game, and Coach Hill Jr. kind enough to join us now on WSJS Sports. Coach, given everything I just outlined there, what do you imagine you personally and your guys are going to be feeling when they take the floor at Cameron on Saturday? Oh, wow. It'll be uh, a multiple of things. Um, I didn't realize it was 20 months since we played the last game. I don't know why that didn't register. Um, But, of course, we'll be happy to be playing basketball again um, against an opponent. We didn't even have a a scrimmage game yet. Uh, We had two inter-squad scrimmages. Um, But to actually be playing a basketball game will be one thing. But to be playing in an atmosphere uh, like Cameron um, is is another thing. I think they they have the best atmosphere in Division One basketball, and I think we have the best atmosphere in Division Two basketball. So it'll be interesting for me to see our guys play um, in an atmosphere like that. But explain this one to me: the last twenty months. Now that that's sinking in on you a bit. What did the low point look like of the last 20 months trying to manage your young people that want nothing more than to play but just weren't able to? Yeah, it was tough. Um, I I think last year around, no, a little bit later than this, uh, we actually got uh, a call from Wake Forest uh, about, a week before Christmas, they were doing a week before Thanksgiving. They were doing a tournament over Christmas, and one of the teams pulled out, and uh, they asked us if we wanted to step in. It was, um, of course, the ACC, uh, the SWAC, and I think it was a Big South team, and it was going to be us. And uh, probably three days before the tournament, or probably possibly four we had a positive test. Um, so we had to pull out of that tournament, and right after that, the season was canceled. And we kind of had to tell the guys in the same breath, and uh, they were very disappointed, as the coaching staff was as well. So that probably was the low point once we figured we weren't going to play that and then we weren't going to have a season kind of in that same week. Winston-Salem State coach Cleo Hill Jr. with us here. You mentioned Wake Forest. It's not just Duke that you're going to be playing this weekend. Next Friday, so not this Friday, but next Friday, you're going to be facing Wake Forest. And I was surprised to hear it's been a dozen years since Wake Forest has played Winston-Salem State. When I asked Steve Forbes about it a few weeks ago, he viewed it as galvanizing the community in Winston-Salem. I'm surprised it's been this long. How did these games come together, both Duke and Wake Forest? Um. Well, okay, I guess with with Duke, I had a prior relationship with with Mike and their staff. Actually, when when Duke started playing the CIAA champions, uh, they started that actually when I was at Shaw University and we won the CIAA championship in 2011. 
So that was the first time that uh, a CIAA Division II school played against Duke. Um, and ironically, I'll be the last, so that's 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 pretty cool. But uh, with with Steve, um, that was more or less um, our athletic director speaking with theirs, and uh, it would be a good thing, like Steve said, for the community. Um, I think it's going to be a great buzz. Uh, we're, we're welcoming Steve uh, to our community. He's a great guy. And um, I think it could be the start of something. I don't know if it'll be a yearly thing, um, but definitely it could be something we do every every two or three years. Cleo Hill Jr., Winston-Salem State head coach, joining us here on WSGS Sports. You mentioned you had a relationship with Coach K. When you hear guys like him and Roy Williams speak so highly about big house gains, speak with such reverence, what does that mean to you? That that means a lot because Coach Gaines was was my mentor, even though I didn't get a chance to play for him. But he was my mentor in, in the coaching profession, um, and I, I did not know until one of the articles came out before our game against uh, Roy and UNC uh, that they had had a prior relationship. And then I saw recently that uh, Mike had a relationship with him. Yep. So that that makes me feel good because um, I know that. On some level, he was curious about coaching on that level, and to have, you know, friends in the profession at that level, um, it was great. You know, it was great to hear from me, uh, being here at Winston-Salem State now. So, it's it's good to hear. In the same vein of Rams getting rightful recognition, your dad is second, was second in program history, or I guess that's still today is second in program history and scoring only behind one man in program history the great earl the pearl monroe who last weekend was named to the nba 75 team how cool is it to still see that type of stuff get recognized oh my goodness uh i was actually with earl uh, a week or two ago um with dave Gorin uh, uh when they announced that uh claudette weston was getting the annie um, and so Claudette had myself and Earl sitting at the same table and, uh, you know, to see that he's still, you know, up and moving about and, and still getting these kind of accolades. It's, it's a cool thing. He was my first basketball idol back when he played for the, the Baltimore bullets. Um, and we are, we are kind of making a twist of that as the CIAA tournament has moved to Baltimore. It would, it would be only fitting. Uh, as it comes to Baltimore being um, its first year, and that was the the place where Earl got drafted, leaving Winston-Salem State. So um, it's it's great to see, um, and, and he soaks it all up. Um, you know, the top seventy-five. You know, I would have been disappointed if he wasn't, because um, he's, you know, he was, uh, you know, black magic at the time. Um, and we still call him that jokingly, but, you know, we're happy to say he's alone. Coach, best of luck against the Blue Devils Saturday at one thirty. Hope to see you there at Cameron Indoor Stadium. And then next week, Wake Forest hosting your group. I'll be sure to be there as well. So best of luck in both those exhibitions, and congratulations on just getting through this really difficult stretch and arriving back on the basketball floor. No, thanks a lot. We're going to need all that luck in both (laughs) games, but thank you.
<laughs> you got it. That is Coach Cleo Hill joining us. Cleo Hill Jr. from uh, Winston-Salem State, kind enough to be here. Yeah, I'd say they probably need a little bit of luck matching up against Paolo Boncaro. It's also the first time we're going to see Cameron Indoor filled up for a game with uh, since March of last year, too. So that's going to be seismic. And I look forward to being there for a little while before making the ride down 40 to get to Winston-Salem in time for Wake Forest and Duke, 4 o'clock. We've got tickets to give away for that game in about 20 minutes. We'll talk Deeks in a little over 5. Last night, the Atlanta Braves, Robert, took a one-zip lead in the World Series. It only took three pitches. For them to jump in front. The first swing of the 2021 World Series, Jorge Soler sent it out of the park, left center field. It's a weirdly constructed diamond I've always found at Minute Maid Park. They call it the big juice box down there in H-Town. The Braves, they have a real opportunity tonight. If they go up two zip, Winning both games on the road, I don't think Houston gets off the map. I don't. In a 2-3-2 format, you win the first two, and all you got to do is win two out of three on your home field, and the series is over? That's perfect. I think Atlanta is especially thankful that the series is 2-3-2 when learning about Morton's injury in the middle of that game. That might be the quickest return on an x-ray that I've ever seen in sports. And it was the Atlanta Braves announcing it, not another reporter, where he goes out of the game. Well, it's pretty obvious he got hurt. And then he comes back out the pitch and throws a perfect inning. And the final pitch he threw, it was a strikeout. He hobbles off the field and we learned, yeah, broken fibula. <laughs> you you threw 96 the last pitch you threw to complete a perfect and it, it's unbelievable but that's your race and i think atlanta could survive not having that guy for one start but the way it generally works you could probably have your ace for games 1 4 and 7 if it goes that far since he's not going to be there i think atlanta the longer this series goes it's not going to help them it's going to help who I believe to be the more talented team. So while they won last night, losing Morton, that is a massive deal for them. So I think if this goes six or seven, if this gets to a game six, I'm really feeling good about Houston's chances. But they have a great opportunity to steal tonight because I like their pitcher better. Give me Freed on the mound tonight. The Braves have a great opportunity to go up to zip. There has to be some urgency. Obviously, there's going to be urgency when <laughs> you're playing in the World Series, but when you lose your race after game one and he's not coming back, that really adds to that urgency, in my opinion. With Wake Forest sitting at number 13 and climbing, I keep seeing Dave Clawson's name being thrown into these coaching searches, but I'll tell you why he's not the coach I'm most worried about leaving Winston-Salem. Next on The Drive. Anyone not on medication? No. Nope. The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. 
we'll be giving away a pair of tickets to see 13th ranked Wake Forest in about 15 minutes. The Bachelorette Minute will follow that, so make sure you're sticking around for that. Ever since the Deeks hung 70 on Army Saturday, Robert, I've had more than a couple people ask me this question. Is Dave Clawson going to leave Wake Forest? In fact, I think someone a couple days ago asked that question to me on air. Here's my answer to that. He could, but I'd say it's unlikely. I actually think there's a better chance they lose their offensive coordinator, Warren Ruggiero, rather than Clawson. But before we get to that, let's zero in on Dave first. I don't see a lot of fits for him. He is comfortable in Winston-Salem. You look at his coaching background, it's a lot different than the coaches you're seeing thrown around in the USC and Miami mix. USC, Miami, LSU, it's a lot different than that. You're looking at Albany, Buffalo, Lehigh, Villanova, Fordham, Richmond, Bowling Green, and Wake Forest. I've said it about basketball coaches. I think it applies to football, too, that if you are used to recruiting a certain type of player and developing a certain type of way, you should not deviate from that. When you do, and you're out there chasing cash, that's where you run into problems. And I think Clawson understands that, because the one spot I did not mention on his resume, one year as the offensive coordinator at Tennessee. He jumped to a big job. He jumped to the SEC. It didn't go well for him. That isn't to say he can't be successful coaching in the Southeastern Conference. I'm saying he's probably more comfortable coaching at a smaller school, being a bit under the radar screen, not coaching at one of these blue blood powerhouses like LSU or USC. So I'd be surprised if he entertains those schools, if he entertains schools in the ACC like Miami or Virginia Tech, both schools that haven't come free yet, but wouldn't surprise me if they do. If you're looking at jobs that would make sense, I get they're a powerhouse. The biggest powerhouse they might look at is a Notre Dame type. If Notre Dame came free, I think Dave Clawson would look closely at that. If Stanford, for example, that's another place that I think would make some sense. Baylor, there's a chance that could come free because Dave Aranda has ties to both USC and LSU. So if that comes free, maybe Dave Clawson would look at that. But I don't think it's likely. Warren Ruggiero, I don't think is under the radar any longer. I think after this Pete Thamel story came out, after the Deeks scored 70 at West Point, which only 1972 Nebraska has done, Everybody knows who Warren Ruggiero is in the football world now. Read this quote. Listen to this quote, I should say, that an opposing coach said about Warren Ruggiero's offense. Quote, There's no one else on the planet running what they run. Ruggiero is the best offensive coordinator in the country, and Clawson is the best coach of the ACC. It's not even close. How Michigan or someone like that doesn't go after him is nuts. I know it's not sexy, but rarely do you see a team fix their flaws on offense from year to year like they do. Dave Clawson said this about Warren. He's a very good evaluator in recruiting and saying, that guy can do this for us. A lot of guys we built this thing with were guys that 
other people didn't want. The emphasis of the system changes based on our relative strengths and weaknesses. That's a guy with all the points that he scores, I think people are going to have interested. Texas Tech has a winning record and they fired Matt Wells. When I think of Big 12 football and I think of Texas Tech specifically, I think about uniquely run offenses trying to score a heck of a lot of points and Warren Ruggiero checks those boxes. Washington State, they're looking to find the next Mike Leach because they were so successful out there. Well, I'll tell you someone that maybe can score a ton of points for you. How about Warren Ruggiero? I think it's more likely they lose him then lose Dave Clawson. Regardless of what happens, I think Wake's going to be in good hands if Clawson does hypothetically leave. Well, they have Ruggiero who could step in and be the head coach. I think that's almost a lock if that were to happen. If Warren leaves, who would replace him? Who would have this offense? How about wide receiver coach Kevin Higgins, who Clawson was just gushing about yesterday? He was asked about Warren, but then transitioned it to Kevin Higgins saying this. I mean, oh my goodness, I think we have the best wide receiver coach in the whole country. I mean, Kevin Higgins, are you kidding me? I mean, every single year, right, we're going to be bad because we lose receivers. So, you know, we lose Tabari Hines, and then you got Greg Dorch, and then you lose Greg Dorch, we're in trouble. We got Kendall Hinton, and then you lose Kendall Hinton, and you got Ja'Cory Roberson, and you know, you lose Sage Surratt, and you lose Scotty Washington, and then Donovan Green gets hurt. Now you have a Torian Perry and Taylor Marin, and Donald Stewart did some good things. It's an excellent point. So there's the progression where if Warren leaves to take a job somewhere, well, Kevin Higgins, he's going to be the offensive coordinator for Wake, and he's earned it for the reasons that Clawson just described there. I think Wake has a really strong program set up, and Dave's done an excellent job. So teams are going to look, but I think Clawson understands fit and I don't see a lot of good fits out of the jobs that are available right now. 336-777-1600, the number. We'll give away those wake tickets in about 10 minutes. Let's go to Dave and Clemens who wants in on Clawson. Dave, there you have it. I think there's a better chance they lose Ruggiero than Clawson. What do you say? Uh, I, I think Clawson's going to be gone. I actually was the one who called Monday and presented this question to you. And where I think he's a perfect fit, Josh, is going to be Penn State. And and this this staff comes from Bowling Green, and they're so familiar with recruiting the Ohio, the Michigan, the Detroit area, the running backs out of there, the Pennsylvania area. I think Franklin takes an SEC big job, and that leaves Penn State open. And you got to think Clawson's going to be the perfect fit. And, and Josh, like, it's, it's hard. He's done a great job at Wake Forest, but like if a big radio or TV station in Houston or Miami came after you, wouldn't you listen? I mean, <laughs> can I stop you real quick? I, I actually, yeah. I actually was pretty much offered a radio job in Houston and flew down there and was interviewed. I don't know if I've said that publicly on the air before, but that I, I'm still here. Hey. <laughs> be a great fit man we, we would hate to lose you in this area but i mean you're, you're so good at what you do some big market's gonna scoop you up eventually so you gotta listen yeah but i gotta ask who's your team in the acc wait for or nc state okay in the in the acc who's your team outside the acc 
the Oregon Ducks. I, I pull for Oregon Ducks. All right, or, Oregon Ducks. Okay, we'll, we'll see. I mean, you're you're right. If Penn State does come open, that that is a school we were talking about yesterday. How Dave Tepper has bleep you money. Penn State has that too, where they can just offer a coach so much. But that's a that's an interesting thing to throw out there. I appreciate the call, Dave. Penn State that that would be interesting. I I don't know how much of a fit that would be. He is right that Dave has been in Big Ten country, coaching at Bowling Green, for example. But I don't know. Big powerhouse, blue blood program. I don't know if Dave has that interest. He could. I'm not speaking for him. He could, but I I don't see it. I don't. Transitioning things to the NFL. Robert, we've got a Panthers health update. (laughs) How good? Do you have a read at all, Robert, on this Panthers-Falcons game? We're going to have Wes Durham join us, who's the voice of the Falcons. But... First look at this game on a Wednesday is when I start to turn the page to the week of games that we look at. I have no idea what to make of Panthers-Falcons. Do you? Yeah, I think the Falcons are kind of hitting stride. Uh, Their offense is starting to click a little bit, and they've had to do it the last few weeks without Calvin Ridley. Getting him back would be a big boost. It looks like Kyle Pitts is becoming more and more comfortable in that offense. What what the numbers he put up? Did you see that? I mean, over 100 yards. yards. For uh, the second game in a row, I think he's had over 100 yards. Yeah, that, that pick's starting to look really good. He had a rough start. And they had trouble running the ball at the end of the year, but Arthur Smith is finding new ways to get Cordero Patterson involved, and he's even more efficient than Mike Davis is. Uh, so, I mean, I think the run game's coming along. The uniqueness of the offense is finding ways to fit in. I, I've i always been a fan of the talent the Falcons have on offense, but them never being able to put it together on defense. But I don't know if the Panthers – can outscore them if it comes down to that. Who do you think's regretting more passing on a quarterback in the first round, Carolina or the Falcons? Not the Falcons. A quarterback would do absolutely nothing for them right now. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Here are the health updates I have, though. Terrace Marshall Jr. is the only, this is good news, the only non-IR player that didn't practice today. Justin Burris, off of IR, expected to return. Stephon Gilmore expected to make his debut as a Panther. Shaq Thompson, limited work. Matt Rule earlier today said that he didn't know yet if he would be ready for Sunday. Cam Irving, he returned. He's supposed to play. Bad news? It's Cam Irving. So, like... John Miller's out, it seems. So it seems that Trent Scott, Dennis Daly, Brady Christensen... We'll be having to fill that void at right guard. Christian McCaffrey, this is the last week he's on IR. Fingers crossed that he'll be ready to go November 7th against the New England Patriots. Okay, I've got, here's what I want to do here. We have wake tickets to give away today and tomorrow. Two pair today, two pair tomorrow. I've got a Wake Forest edition of two truths and a lie queued up here. So if you want tickets to see 13th-ranked Wake play Duke Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock, call us now, 336-777-1600, and be prepared to play. 336-777-1600. It is two truths and a lie, Wake edition. And also, the Bachelorette Minute, next on The Drive. 
listen to this. You're on the drive with Josh Graham. Proceed slowly and with caution. On WSJS Sports. The voice of the Panthers, Mick Mixon, has this move that many radio guests don't. Where they actually, where he actually asks the host questions after he's asked questions. So he's a guest on a show, but he's got some questions he wants to ask as well. And Robert tells me that Adam Gold from the Adam Gold Show that you could listen to noon to three right here on WSGS Sports has a question to get us started here for me. AG, what's going on? Uh, well, here's my question. Uh, it's a beautiful, lovely Wednesday afternoon, by the way, here in uh, Oxford, North America. Um, so I'm talking to Dave Kloss in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I need to know the best way to to ask. You scored 70, but you gave up 56 to Army. How do I how do I process that? I've got you. Here's the best way to frame it. I've got a million-dollar question that I hope I hear you ask Dave Clawson tomorrow. Clawson's going to be with us on Friday, so a lot of Dave Clawson action this week leading up to Saturday's game in Winston-Salem. How about you frame it this way? How happy are you that you don't have to see the triple option again this year? <laughs> that is a good way of framing it. It's a very good way of framing it. Because I've seen this movie before. I, I've seen yeah. this movie before. It looked very familiar, almost traumatic to me watching on Saturday when it's obvious five minutes into a game that a team has nothing for the triple option. I've watched in person, Adam, Navy put up 56, 66, 59, and 76 on my alma mater, the East Carolina Pirates. So I've seen that movie before. Never have I seen the team giving up that many points win, though, when that happens. You know my favorite thing about uh, that particular offense, which is, by the way, somebody who grew up in the uh, 70s and 80s watching college football, I kind of liked the offense. Um, I watched, I think it was Navy when Paul Johnson was still the head coach, mm-hmm. completely keep the ball for an entire quarter just about. It was like a 13-minute drive. It, I mean, it's just a thing of beauty. A.G., let's get to the Greensboro headquarters issue because I think it matters you don't. Why don't you think it matters? Who, who cares where your headquarters are? A lot of people well, in the triad. What happens at headquarters? Is there a is there a brick and mortar? Like, is there a retail store? Is there a restaurant? I mean, I just don't know what it, where it, why it matters that your headquarters are in a certain place. Why does it matter that? See, you were talking about this a few months ago. Why does it matter that the USGA is going to have headquarters in Pinehurst? Oh, I don't think it matters that the USGA has headquarters in Pinehurst. I think it's cool. Um, I think that the USGA coming to Pinehurst to do um, to have the U.S. Open basically every ten years. Ah, and I'm glad. And I'm glad you say that because a big concern right. that I've heard in the last 24 hours is if you lose Greensboro's headquarters and they go to Charlotte after 2023, is the ACC tournament ever going to come back to Greensboro? Why would they? I don't know, but it hasn't always been in Greensboro for the last 15 years while the ACC has been living here. I don't think it matters. Well, 2014, 20, has well, a value well, well, well. to the tournament. 
I was going to say three or four straight years they were in Greensboro from 2012 to 2015. or 2020, they had the tournament that, of course, got uprooted. Last year was obviously right. a last-ditch effort, and they're going to be back in 2023. So they've hosted the tournament more than anybody else. Obviously, yeah, yeah. tournament town, title town, that's a big part of Greensboro's identity. So the fact that there's a chance that might not happen moving forward because of this news, that makes it matter, I think. No, well, I, but it, to me, it has no bearing on whether or not the you know they get their mail in Greensboro. They could get their mail anywhere. They, the 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 ACC office could be in the back of a uh, an F one fifty truck. Could be in a Winnebago. It could be in a flying. It could be in the men's room at a flying J rest stop. It doesn't matter. There, nothing happens other than that's where they send out email and other releases. Nothing really happens at conference offices. You know, they go. They would go off-site for major, uh, you know, may, you know, major meetings. Or they, frankly, the conference office might very well be at Bristol, Connecticut, for uh, for all we know. Um, look, it, the the league was already weaning themselves away from half the time being in Greensboro for the ACC tournament, and this is this is like the cost of progress if we want to just get right down to it. Why? It's not. Well, I'll, I'll explain. It's not a weekend event, and it's not a basketball event anymore. It's uh, You are either rewarding clients or you are wooing clients, and so you are entertaining clients at these events for the major, for the, you know, for the 15 schools. Uh, it's a Tuesday through Saturday. It's no longer a three-day event, which is primarily on the weekend. Um, this is not really just a basketball tournament anymore. It's a way to sell. Uh, it's a corporate event. And these things demand that you be in major, you know, entertainment areas. And right, but, kind of, but, but I'm struggling, but I'm struggling to hear. Outgrown. I'm struggling to hear. Adam Gold's with me here, though. I, I'm struggling to hear where that's progress. What you're describing, though... Sounds like greed disguised as progress, which I think this is what no, it's it is. Not it's greed. nothing more. Well, it's it's you know you're talking yeah, about trying reality. to please your it, you're trying to please your corporate sponsors. That's that. I mean, Josh, you have to Josh, believe the leagues in an existential crisis. The the majority of the teams start playing on Wednesday. Yes, they're either start starting to play or still playing on Wednesday. So if you're if if. If you're part of that contingent, whether you're uh, a sponsor and with your sponsorships you get, you know, X amount of tickets, or you're a fan uh, and you have purchased uh, tickets through the school, that you're going to a place and you might be there for three days. You no longer get all the games. They don't. It's not just one ticket you get all the games anymore. They divide the sessions, so you're not even allowed to go back to the evening session, or you're not allowed in the day session uh, anymore. Where would you rather be if you are having to spend three days doing something and you only get basketball for a short period of time? Would you rather be in Greensboro? And I'm not knocking Greensboro. I've never said they'll never go back. I think Greensboro will be an anniversary spot, whether it's you know, a, you know one of the 25th, 75th, 100th, obviously, I'm not talking about only coming back at 100, but 80 or 85 or things like that. 
Uh, or would you rather be in a Washington, D.C., which I will contend is the best place for the ACC tournament, or Charlotte, which whether I don't know what everybody's opinion of Charlotte is, but where the arena is in Uptown Charlotte is a better location than Greensboro. Uh, occasionally they'll go to Atlanta. I don't know if I would ever bring it to Boston, uh, but that's a great city to visit. There's a ton to do. Uh, so to me, it is destination cities deserve an event of this magnitude, and it's not just a basketball event anymore. And it has, look, the entire league is greed. We can't cherry pick where greed enters. We have 15 teams in the league because greed. We don't, if it was not about greed, we'd still have nine. Frankly, we wouldn't have a league. If we still had nine, it would be something else. We, could, uh, we, we can disagree on one piece about whether or not it's better to, be, to have the tournament in one place or the other. But I will circle back to the beginning, though, of asking whether or not it matters if the headquarters is in Greensboro or somewhere else. If it doesn't matter, then why, when I asked Jim Phillips about it a few weeks ago, did he say this was a primary issue that was brought up time and time again by several, as he described, university presidents and ADs? Maybe, maybe it's because of some of the things I outlined, that the league and the event, because I think in, in some ways they work, uh, but the league has simply outgrown Greensboro. The, East, the, the Big East used to be in Providence, Rhode Island. It's now in New York City. Right. And there's really no natural place for the well, Southeastern well, Conference. The American, but, the American took over those offices in Providence, Rhode Island. And then the Big East, with the, when they defected from that because they wanted to have their own eight, together, the Catholic schools, they just kept the name and they went somewhere else. Well, I understand, but they could have gone anywhere. They chose to go to New York City. I got um, you. Oh, I, I, I forgot the most important question while I got you. I just here. don't think it matters since no, nothing really happens at HQ. It's just, I, don't, I, I just think that the, the angst over this is, I mean, to me, much ado about nothing. Like I said, most people don't even go to work anymore. I think uh, it's a lot to do with the tournament. That's what I believe. And that's why we, we, I think the meat of this conversation centers on the tournament. And that's what people are afraid that they're going to well, lose. It was, already, it was already starting to uh, be spread out over different cities. There might even be three cities involved. Uh, but I don't think the league will ever completely you know, rid itself of Greensboro. I, I fear that it might, but I hope you're right. I hope you're right on that. All right. So, so let me ask you this question, since I'll, I'll, I'll play the role of Mick Mixon. Yes. I mean, no offense. What would be the, down, the, the actual downside of no longer going back to Greensboro? Well, you've been too many. You've happened, been, but what you've would been, be the downside of that? Well, you, you'd lose... The, the symbolism and the roots and the history that I think does matter and I do think is cool. And I've been to the tournaments at other sites, as I know you have, I'm sure, as well. And I'm sure you've gotten into those cabs where people didn't even know the ACC was in town. And that's something you never yeah. deal with in Greensboro. And you deal with the, the ushers but, and you deal with the folks at the Coliseum that are so great. I don't think you're going to have as nearly of a great basketball experience. 
And maybe it's just me as a sports talk host loving basketball so much, but I think you lose something with that. I do. You know, you know it's funny. You know what my favorite, uh, favorite tournament was in the last, say, 10 years, 15 Sounds years? Sounds like D.C. Tampa. <laughs> 2007. NC State had a pretty good run in that tournament. They did. They did. They had a, and it was in a great spot. I mean, the uh, whatever it's called now, Amelie Arena, uh, yeah. is in a a great place, entertainment area. Tampa was a great tournament. Now, I I, I, I said this before. I think DC, if they decided to plant their flag in DC and stay there forever, I'd absolutely support it. I would support going to Madison Square Garden if you could go there. Brooklyn, I have no interest in Brooklyn, but I understand why the league likes Brooklyn. They want to be in New York City. Um, I would go back and forth between Charlotte and D.C. if I couldn't just plant my flag and stay in D.C. forever. Um, but, again, I just I don't think it matters that the sidewalks are, uh, you know, spilling out with, well, you know, ACC tournament stuff. I just don't think that stuff matters. What's for dinner, Adam Gold? I uh, believe, uh, well, my son is going to eat the leftover chicken carbonara that we had yesterday. <laughs> uh, my my. My wife and I, I think it might be a, kind of a flatbread. We're going to make some flatbread pizzas tonight. Robert, I need to try one of these chicken carbonaras he's talking about. He keeps talking about these chicken carbonaras when we do this. It sounds so good. My son would have it for breakfast if he could. Yeah. AG, I, I think I'm having uh, hamburgers tonight. That's what I'm going with. Excellent. Robert, what are you doing? I have absolutely no idea. I have not seen the menu. I just do the grocery shopping and show up and hope it's hot and good. Pretty good stuff. I AG. assume we're talking about dinner, so. Uh, you never know with me. You never know with me, AG. <laughs> That's Adam Gold. Hey, uh, enjoy Clausa tomorrow. We'll enjoy listening to it. Noon to three tomorrow. It's the Adam Gold Show. Appreciate the time, buddy. You got it, brother. The Carolina Panthers are out of the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes, but is it because David Tepper finally grew a conscience? I doubt it, and I'll explain why next. We're going to be here a while. Would you like to talk? Talk to me! You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. One of the voices you start your morning with here on WSJS Sports joins us now. It's also the voice you're going to hear calling two games we care about this weekend. Wake Forest-Duke on the ACC Network at 4 o'clock, and as the radio voice of the Atlanta Falcons, he'll have Panthers-Falcons on Sunday. Perhaps we can get to some NFL at the end of this. Wes Durham, kind enough to be here, the pride of mighty Elon. I got to start here, though. What's going to be on the menu before you arrive to the Truist Field press box? Oh, God. Let's see. Um... I don't know. It depends on what time we kind of wrap things up Friday. Um, you know, we're staying in Winston-Salem, so we'll have to figure it out from there. We may be as simple as mellow mushroom or um, as elaborate as, I don't know, Village Tavern, someplace like that. Or, you know, all the football players keep telling us to go to putters, and Roddy Jones loves wings, so there's always a chance we go to putters too. Well, Chris Mack swears by the teriyaki chicken salad. Every time he goes, he goes two or three times. The teriyaki chicken salad is what Chris Mack gets every time he comes back. At Putters? Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a good call, then. If it's good enough for Mack, who uh, 
if it's good enough for Chris Mack, then it's probably probably good enough for me. Let's put it that way. Just something to keep tabs on there. Wake Forest is seven to zero, and I was watching ESPN last night, and I saw all the guys, Pollock and Reese Davis, among others, Joey Galloway, discussing Wake Forest playoff chances because the first CFP sure. ranking comes out in less than a week, and it's right. going to be a big part of the discussion. If Wake Forest takes care of business against Duke, what happens in the final month of this season? How confident are you, in a hypothetical sense, if Wake Forest runs the table, that they would they would be one of the four teams to make the playoff? Well, we're we're way ahead of the game here, but I'd have to see kind of what the landscape's like each week because a zero is going to be a pretty compelling number um, in this playoff landscape because there are going to be so many ones. The real question you're going to have, Josh, is how many ranked wins are they going to have? You know, who will they have beaten? Because having done that mock committee room, who you play does really matter. And when you play them and how well they're playing and things like that, that actually is why I think Coach Clawson's comments earlier this week about staying focused game to game are probably pretty appropriate for this team. Because in all honesty, I think that you're talking about a program that if they stay the course, they'll certainly have a chance. I think their experience level and their depth are helping them here. But I think also the other thing that's coming back to help them here is is that they've kind of been here before. And I think that's a big part of this. Now, you got to stay focused in, in the moment. And that's really hard to do when everything around you is flying. And that's what's happening right now at Wake Forest. A lot of stuff around them is flying. People are talking about being ranked 13th. They're talking about what you just asked me about. I mean, that sometimes is the uh, kryptonite to teams. I think Dave's a strong enough coach. He's built a strong enough base that he can avoid that. But it's certainly going to be interesting to watch that unfold. And even like Saturday where they're a prohibitive favorite against a Duke team who, you know, could be pretty simplistic. I mean, Mark said it on the show this morning, but it's really got some accuracy to it. I mean, what's keeping Duke from lining up and running Mateo Durant 46 times, right, to shorten the game, take the ball out of Wake's hands, things like that. I think it's all pretty interesting. I think it's. I think that's what makes our game interesting Saturday. But it also proves to be an interesting uh, interesting term for what maybe Wake Forest has the rest of the way. And listen, I, I completely dismissed any conversation about the playoff until this past weekend when I saw what Wake was capable of offensively, even as the defense struggled against the options, something they're not going to see the rest of the way, fortunately for them, while watching Clemson struggle again offensively and fail to get the 20 points, and BC seeing how much that injury to Dracovic has completely torpedoed things, it seems like, there in Chestnut Hill. NC State as well, right. losing Isaiah Moore and Zavala on the offensive line. I think the, I it became more realistic. This looked like a more daunting stretch seven days ago than it does at this moment. Not to say it's going to be easy, but it's become a possibility. If I were to bring a hypothetical of who you beat Cincinnati being unbeaten versus a Power 5 unbeaten champ in Wake Forest, where would okay, you stand on that, I, you think? Well, if I stood on that, you, Notre Dame is still a ranked team with one loss. Yes. Okay. And right now, that's better than anything Wake Forest has, correct? Yeah, they don't have a ranked team that they've beaten, and there's not a team ranked in the AP poll the rest of the way until you get to, theoretically, right. a Pittsburgh ACC title and, game. 
Right, and and by then you may have something because are we talking about a one-loss Pittsburgh and we're talking about a zero Wake Forest and are we talking about a game where the winner gets in? Who knows? I mean, that's that's the beauty of the college football campaign, especially this year. Um, every weekend, you know, somebody goes into a restaurant and flips the tables over. I mean, that's the that's kind of the, the fun yeah. part of what we're dealing with. We're not dealing with four or five teams who you can draw a big circle around them and say, okay, here's who's going to be in the playoff. I mean, we, we have no – I mean, by 9 o'clock Saturday night, things could have changed drastically. I mean, Georgia could have lost to Florida. I mean, Michigan uh, Michigan State are playing. Penn State's playing Ohio State. I mean, we could, we could have a lot of stuff go on Saturday it doesn't tend to work that way. Sometimes it, it comes on the most obscure days rather than the ones you're convinced it's going to happen. So again, I, I think it's easy for coaches to say it. It's harder for teams to do it. That is kind of stick to it. And the thing that impresses you about Wake Forest is they seem to bring the fastball on offense just about every game. And that's going to be important, but can the defense help them the week they don't have the fastball? We'll see if it happens. That'll be the bigger challenge. I think. Wes Durham with us here. Watch Wake Forest Duke with Wesley McCall, 4 o'clock on the ACC Network on Saturday. Also listen to Packer and Durham each morning right here on WSGS Sports. I got this today. Uh, Mel Kuyper put out his NFL draft, like big board based on the first half and change of the college football season, and he has a new quarterback, number one on his big board at the position, and it's Kenny Pickett. Sam Howell, though, equally as interesting, I think, falls all the way down to number five, which and I think the top quarterback on the big board ranked is 15th on the board, so you might not have a guy taken at the very top considering how good some of these defensive players are. So let me put it to you this way. What's a crazier thought? Kenny Pickett winning the Heisman Trophy this year or Sam Howell returning to school for a fourth season? Sam Howell returning. Because it is a different calculus that you have for returning in football than, say, basketball. Roy always said if you're not a first-round pick, he would encourage you to come back to school. If you're in football, you saw all those guys who opted out last year go to the NFL, and not one of them were a first-round pick. Right. And and so... Well, Jamar Chase opted out, and he's a first-round pick, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, I met from uh, from North Carolina last year. All the guys oh, like Diami Di- Brown and Javante yeah. Williams, all those guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, no question. But, you know, Carter and Williams, it's worked out for them. They went to the right teams, and even though they may not be incredibly successful, they're certainly playing. Brown is, is certainly helping out his team. And I, I Look, here here's the deal. I, Sam, Sam is an NFL talent. Okay, Sam Hart, uh, Sam Howell, rather. Sam Hartman's probably going to be in He could be, too. Um, but Kenny Pickett and Josh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, and I said this on radio uh, last week, nobody, I said it in Pittsburgh, actually, The nobody has helped themselves more coming back to play college football this year than Kenny Pickett. And a lot of that has been, number one, his maturity as a quarterback with three years of Mark Quipple. Mark Quipple understanding the pro game, having Coach Roethlisberger and some of these other guys. I mean, I, I had conversations with – I've had conversations with, you know, scouts from two or three different teams who tell me that if he stays on his current trajectory, Kenny Pickett will play himself into the first round. It won't be on Mel's 
board as much as it'll be reality. And that's a great thing for Kenny Pickett because he was given no guarantees a year ago. I mean, he's told the story several times, but I think the stick to on his part, understanding what his team is, Pat Narduzzi kind of understanding it, Mark Whipple playing to Kenny Pickett's emotions a little bit by saying, hey, look, you come back, you could walk away from here the greatest quarterback in Pitt history. And there's some truth to that. If he wins that trophy, he is the greatest quarterback in Pitt history. Records be damned. So I think it shows you what coming back can do. Um, so to me, Sam Howell coming back, though, is probably a bit of a stretch at this point. Although I don't put anything beyond any of these kids because the game has changed. We have name, image, and likeness now. We have all sorts of different things. I mean, it's it's a unique landscape we're now walking into that, that quite frankly, none of us know you know really how to to speak to it or analyze it because we're not the kid and you know that's why i listen to a lot of kids when they do these interviews because i'm trying to sort out what they're what they're thinking about what they're also considering name image and likeness certainly changes a little bit of this along the way too one of the thing i like one of the things i like about your show that you do in the morning and in national sense but even here locally is that you, it's pretty obvious what your guys' roots are. The fact that your dad was the voice of the heels, and I didn't know until I saw in your Twitter earlier this week, before that he was the voice of the Demon Deacons too, and I thought that was pretty cool. And Pac talks about yep. Winston-Salem being his hometown. You obviously went to Elon, and Pac's dad had the ties to Wake Forest too, so you guys understand the triad very well. I asked Jim Phillips a few weeks ago at tip-off about Greensboro and at that time, they weren't looking anywhere else but Greensboro, weren't even listening to offers from other cities. That's now changed with the news that we saw yesterday. But the thing that Jim said a few weeks ago that stood out to me was that when he went to all the schools, this was something that was brought up by more than a few ADs and university presidents, he said in his comments. In other words, it's something that was a priority to those university presidents and ADs to bring up to Commissioner Phillips. Why do you believe the location of the league headquarters is something that's that much of a priority to them? Well, because it's evidently part of the board of directors' priority because it's not Jim. Jim Phillips just happens to be the vehicle which this is moving through. Yes. I think that the league has changed, and it's changed in a way where an examination of your conference headquarters needs to be considered. I mean, you know, I joked about it this morning with Mark on the show when he asked me if I thought it was going to remain in Greensboro, and I don't. Um, I mean, I am as much as I love. I mean, I was born at Cone Hospital. I mean, I'm, I'm I grew up in Greensboro until I was 11 and a half, and we moved to Cary. And I understand and respect the tradition of the ACC from 1953 to whenever as is Greensboro. But I also understand, too, that through no fault of its own, the league and the game has changed. Number one, Josh, the conference map has moved. I mean, the conference map has moved to a point now where transportation and the access to all sorts of different things has changed a little bit. And while Greensboro certainly, and this is no offense to anybody there, I'm going to be there next month to do an event with the commissioner and both commissioners, Commissioner Swafford and Commissioner Phillips, um, you know, my respect level for that city is immense, but I also understand the need to examine and look and see what, if there is a better fit. 
remember the Southeastern Conference and other leagues have gone through this entire process before. In fact, the SEC, when Mike Slav took over as commissioner, did the exact same thing the ACC is doing right now and came within an eyelash of leaving Birmingham for Atlanta. And in some respects, one of the reasons they didn't go to Atlanta was that Atlanta was two hours away from Birmingham. Charlotte is less than two hours or roughly two hours from Greensboro. I don't know what's going to happen, but I respect the fact that they're looking at all the opportunities the ACC may have. And the board of directors is the one that moved on this. I was told about this, to be quite frank with you, I was told about this a year and a half ago for the first time. And then the board of directors was formed, what, last summer, uh, right before Jim Phillips. You know, the board of directors was formed, I think, either, what, close to John Swafford's retirement, either before or after. Is that right? I mean, somewhere yeah. along those lines. But the, the location of the conference office was first mentioned to me by someone affiliated with one of the institutions about a year and a half ago. And it was a discussion point among the CEOs of the institutions, not of the conference office. And let's be honest, those CEOs and that board of director bylaw was written, Josh, that's when the game changed. And you're talking about there are more former Big East members in this league now than there are founding members of the league. And I've talked to a lot of people that are from founding members of the league, uh, university and athletic side. I haven't heard any of them have issue with Greensboro. So would it be fair to assume we're talking about the Big East members here? No, it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be at all. I mean, I think you're talking about league. I think you're talking about the ability to just look at what the – again, nobody's moved yet. They're just looking, and they've agreed to look beyond Greensboro. They've they've heard from the city of Greensboro. I think the mayor did an excellent job stating that. I think the commissioner's been pretty, you know, pretty qualified in, in, in what he said originally. But the board of directors has now set path to look at other things. And as I told Mark on the show this morning, there are a couple of things in the in the priority points that they released yesterday that tell me they're looking for a bigger city. I mean, major airport hub being one, closer to businesses and things like that that may have some impact for what the league is going to do. Does that say Charlotte? Yeah, sure it does. It also says Baltimore and Washington to me. And if you look at the map, if you draw, if you move it to Baltimore and Washington, you've actually centrally located it in some respect. Maybe well, the, you've centrally located it in Charlotte. But I understand the pride in the triad. Trust me, I get all that. But I also understand, too, and I, you've heard me tell the story about my dad and I talking about 9 to 12 and expansion, right? Yeah. My mom cleared the kitchen and sent us to the garage. This is one of those discussions. This one just happens to be playing out in front of everybody. That's all. There's pride, but there's also fear. And the fear from people that we've taken phone calls from and I've gotten emails from and I've talked to in the last 24 hours is all about the ACC tournament. As if to say, if they leave Greensboro, they have no reason to bring the tournament back to Greensboro. And that's the fear that 2023 might be the last time in a long time that the tournament's here. Is that a fair fear? I, I, is it a fair fear? Sure, as long as the tournament has a short range of sites, I guess. But I also know, too, that the Greensboro Sports Foundation, the Greensboro Sports Council, Matt Brown and the Coliseum Complex in Greensboro, that is a point of pride event for them, and they know that, and the ACC knows that. Whether the ACC is headquartered in Greensboro, Charlotte, New York, 
are with Virginia, they know the ACC tournament is a point of pride for the Greensboro area and the triad itself. I recognize that as much as anybody, maybe even more so. I don't think it means at all that if the ACC leaves Greensboro that the tournament is gone in the least. I think that's an entirely separate conversation based on a lot of things. We don't, we don't know where the basketball tournament's going to go. Hell, at this point, Josh, we got to make sure basketball still matters. You know? I mean, we still got to make sure that people want to come to the tournament, that there's a reason for the people to have pride in, turn, in coming to the tournament. That's a good point. You hear all these, uh, I mean, what Bob Huggins is pushing out there and others talking about, you know. He ain't wrong, changing... by the way. He ain't wrong, Bob Huggins. He just said what we've all been thinking. You know that. Right. But I think you got to fix the regular season first in terms of the moneymaker that is the tournament, messing with that product when the regular season is not something that people care about as much anymore. That's when you really start playing with fire, I think. Well, we need to fix college basketball before we fix the regular season. Yeah. That's the other thing. Westerm, last thing for you. Uh, I have no feel. First look, three or four days from now, Panthers-Falcons. I have no feel for this game. Do you? Um, I think Kyle Pitts is pretty good. I got that worked out the last couple days. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I got that part worked out, and I think Brian Burns has had a good year for the Panthers for the most part. But outside of that, that's why we put it on a tee at 1 o'clock Sunday. See what happens. 4 o'clock, they're going to be putting a football on a tee, too, in Winston-Salem, and Western's going to yeah. be there. Look forward to that. Make sure you get some Dewey's, maybe some Krispy Kreme with the red light hey, on. You're late. You're late on the Dewey's. You should have watched the show this morning. You find out why you're late. I'm late on something. Gosh, I was wait. I was in Winston Salem yesterday for a meeting, and I stopped at Dewey's to bring the big fella a prize this morning. The <laughs> there show. he is. There he is. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Listen to Packer and Durham, seven to ten, because apparently I I, I was tardy today and, and missed that. Wes, have a great call. There you go. Great couple of calls this week, and hope to see you on Saturday. All right, Josh. Take care. See you. There you go. That's Wes Durham from Packer and Durham in the ACC Network.